I don't understand that. 2001 was like two years ago, Emily. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Hang on. Sorry. I'm sitting on my Delia's catalog. Let me move. <laughs> Let me shift a minute. Between the present and the past, memories held in the walls and earth, energies and entities that cross the barrier into our dreams and our consciousness. That which has been left behind between the living and the dead. I'm Emily. And I'm Joy. And this is Is The the Residuals. Residuals. Joy. Yeah? Your hair. Is that a wig? What? Is that a wig? No, this this is my hair, Emily. You have glorious thick hair. Thanks. It's beautiful. Um, it's weird. It's long. No, but like weird, legit, seriously, your bangs look fucking amazing right now. And I'm, I'm like, get it, but they do, they're beautiful and they're thick and they look like those clip on fronts that you can get. If you don't have bangs and you're like, I want to fu- fuck about and find out, let's see, <laughs> let's try some, a bang situation. Um, and it's the luscious you got a luscious fringe Thanks. tickling tickling Thanks. your forehead. Thanks, dude. Yeah, this is attached. I just um it's usually very short. I usually don't let it grow out and it is much longer than I'm comfortable with and like how do you people with long hair do this all the time? Like you want to take a shower and it's always wet and it takes so long to do stuff with. Um, like it's called dry shampoo and a fuck it bun. That's boom. But dynamite. Like, but even like sometimes when I have a headache, I just want to go in the shower and like uh, it makes me like not even want to because I, I think know. like my hair is so stupidly long and it takes so long for it to dry. And like I'm not gonna well, it's not also gonna really dry thick. It. Get yeah, a shower. There's cap. a lot of it. Just get a shower cap. But then I think about the last time I used a shower cap was approximately 1946 and Ooh. all I remember was like the, and I'm like, I don't want that if I have a headache. So maybe I need to try a better shower cap. If anyone has recommendations for quiet shower caps. Why not just get a swim cap? Because they're usually latex. Oh, Fudge. Oh, I was just thinking, what about those cute ones with the flowers that old ladies wear? Or like I, is on, dude, is on the cover I would have of the rocked one Blur of those album. So much if I would not die from putting it on. There's one this. that I love that would be perfect. My favorite band in the 90s was Blur. And they have a really great album called Leisure or Leisure, as you people would call it. <laughs> And it, um, and it has this wonderful um, hat here. I'm going to show it to you. This would look gorgeous on you. Let me see. Oh, it's so cute. Isn't it? It is. Also, this album is fucking amazing. Yeah. yeah. Tim and I have been talking about just, we're going to buy a CD player. <gasps> I was targeted. Jesus. 
joy, I don't know how to take this because on one hand I was like, oh, that's really cute. I'll get that. And on the other hand, I was, I realized CD players are the new vinyl they're the new record players and it was like yeah, because i have all my cds yes out in the effing shed yes in a box same yes. i have two giant rubber maids of them that i refuse to get rid of mm-hmm. because and vhs same reason mm-hmm. um and yeah it was like this it was almost like an urban outfitters type oh, put God. in your cds and listen to them why are they sitting on a book I, it's just like, this isn't some kitschy. No, fucking... the other thing though, is that vinyl times for production is so backed up right now. Right. That a lot more people are pressing CDs. Yes. Now instead of vinyl. My... So it, it's crazy how like all of a sudden. Ooh. Yeah. My favorite thing to do though. I was telling you this when we were driving down to the, to the Dell that I used to be in a mix. I used to be in a mixtape group collective essentially and so we had like an excel spreadsheet and we had it broken down by this person would do a mixtape and give it out this week and then the next week so and so would do one and we'd give it to everybody and so for me my favorite thing about mixtapes and mix cds is always the playlist the theme Mm -hmm. it has to have a theme right and the artwork so Mm -hmm. one of my favorite oh God, one of my favorite mix CDs that I've ever done was for someone going through a breakup. And it was, I called it Getting Over by Getting Under. Yes. And it was based on the stages of grief. And so the tracks, it got deep, dude. Yep. And so the tracks were like (laughs) in that order. And so, and I like passed them out on the back on the track listing. I like did a little bracket next to the few songs that were, you know, denial, anger, grief, bargaining, acceptance, right? So like I get really thorough into it and it was great because you had that limited amount of space on it. But now with Spotify playlists, it's like, I don't feel I can curate them properly anymore because there's so much room, but at the same time I do get really, I still get really into them. Like, I think one of my biggest things, like aside from like themes or whatever, I got really obsessive about like the outro and the intro. Yes. Like from one, and I was like, does this, no. It has to flow right. But it doesn't go right. This one has to move and the next one has to come here. And like, I was really, I still do it. Like when I make a proper playlist for like the tattoo shop or whatever. Yes. But yeah, like the, the out, like the way that it ends that like last fucking note has to really like make sense with the next thing that comes on no no dead serious I 100% because I will put together my playlist it will look like it makes sense but then every single song I will go to the last five seconds Mm -hmm. listen to it as it goes into the next one because it has to have that flow yep jeez yes absolutely I think that's part of why I like editing right because I'm like, oh no, that doesn't sound right going into the next part. Exactly. To fix it. <laughs> it has to sound, you've got to have the cadence, the inflection, yeah. the emotional, whatever. We've been like busting out a lot of music stuff lately. Like we're talking about CDs. We've been playing a lot more music at home. Um, we're trying to explain to Enzo that like, just because we put music on doesn't mean you immediately ask us to put your favorite podcast on instead. Right. Um, 
But today, Tim went and got his pedal board out and like cleaned everything and picked <gasps> up all his pedals and like tried his old amp and tried my old amp and like hooked up my electric guitar and we were playing stuff and Enzo was like I want to try oh my god that's so cute I have pictures of my like child holding my first like my my only electric guitar that I like had to sit down and have a meeting with my parents about (gasps) buying in high school it was like a Wayne's world like I went with my friend and I saw this fucking guitar and I was like (gasps) I need this. Right. I think I was like 13 or 14. Okay. And I had to sit down with my parents and have a very serious, like, well, it was like 92. So I didn't have PowerPoint, but I was just like, listen, (laughs) if you look at the graph that is my serious face, I really would like to take the money that I earned Mm -hmm. babysitting and put into my savings account. And I would like to take it out and buy a guitar and buy an amp. And they were like, I don't know. Are you really serious? They like made me like, like promise and prove things and like plead my case and all this shit. Yeah. Like then by a couple of days later, I had that guitar and I had an amp and I had (laughs) everything I needed to go with it. And I still have the amp and I still have the guitar. Um, and I love that fucking thing so oh much. Oh my God. And I just like bought that and I bought the Siamese Dream sheet music and like a bunch of other shit. And I just went in like hermit mode and taught myself how to like play shit. Oh God. <laughs> I love that. So I would be on like winter break in school. And my friends are like, let's go out. I'm like, I'm busy. And I'd be like eight I hours a day. My cords, bitch. I'd be like in front of the mirror in my room that I shared with my sister. So I could be like walked in on at any time. Yeah. But like fingers bleeding, like oh didn't God. matter. Keep going. <laughs> so you're going to be starting a family band. Um, yeah. I actually talked to Tim the other day. I was like, I was thinking about maybe like an electronic drum kit because I'm going to break my steering wheel if I keep pretending I'm Danny Carey every time I'm alone in the car. I think you should do that. (laughs) I think it's very telling about who we are (laughs) and who our kids are that this was the experience you had today and my child keeps asking me when we can go see Kylie Minogue in concert oh my goodness because I love Kylie Minogue a lot and I'm talking like the super fun club like obviously like when I was a kid and she did the locomotion and all that shit that was great when I was like 13 you know 12 but now like I've got my kit like she came out with a new album um I think it was the end it was the end of 2020 called magic and it was like listening the very first like there's a song on it called called say something and the first time I heard it, it was like a mini satin return for me just happened in the moment. Oh, goodness. And I was like, oh, this song, like, f- I'm fucking amazing. <laughs> and so I forced my child to listen to it. And now we listen to like her entire fucking catalog oh, from yay. Fever onwards, which 
I know probably doesn't mean anything to you because we have very differing music tastes, but it's just like she has her favorite songs and we listen to them in the car, which is a lot because we're in, in the car a lot in LA and we listen to it at home. We, we stick it on the, on the Sonos and we dance yeah. around the living room to it. Yeah. Today we, um, <laughs> again, musical choices and uh-huh, uh-huh. telling about who we are. Uh, we had on tool and huh. like a big surprise um but I look over and Enzo's sitting at like the table drawing a whole bunch of trucks and he's just like headbanging to it in spite of himself because he was annoyed he kept asking me to shut it off can we shut this off yet and put on something else and I was like no we can't for once mom is saying no I want to listen to this one thing please right. while I take Christmas decorations off of the tree I just really really need to listen to stink fist right so <laughs> Oh no, like when we decorate the tree and my husband learned this our very first Christmas together, when I put decorations on or take them off the tree, I have to listen to the Andy Williams green Christmas album. (laughs) Sleigh ride is my jam. And when I say it is my jam, I mean, you do not talk to me while I am getting down to sleigh ride. You do not, you can't interrupt me because it is, I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. Sleigh ride (laughs) is my fucking jam. Oh my God. And it is the quintessential Christmas song. And so, yes, sleigh ride. Cause that like the, the Andy Williams Christmas is like, that's what I think. Cause my mom's American. So growing up in the UK, my mom would break out her Andy Williams LPs, his Christmas LPs. And that is what we decorated the Christmas tree to and the house to every year. And so now it's like, yeah, no, dude, I'm like the fucking Grinch. Tim wants to like put on Christmas music as soon as possible. And I'm just like, it should only be allowed the day of Christmas. And that's fucking it. So Um, listen, (laughs) there is, okay. There's a British band called Slade that they have a really great Christmas song that you they they were kind of a metal band and another one called wizard that was like psychedelic yeah. rock <laughs> which is from the 70s which is always great and they have a really great um christmas song there was a guy there was a pop star in the uk growing up his name was shaken stevens oh my god and like dressed like elvis in his teddy boy days <laughs> um and um, he has a Christmas song and I about shit my pants because I was in Target doing last minute, oh fuck stuff. And it came on in Target and I lost my fucking marbles and I was recording myself singing along to it to send to my sister and my mom in the UK oh being God. like, they have, they're playing Shaken Stevens at Target. Oh, Absolutely really? lost it. Sorry. Um, we should probably talk about ghosts and shit yeah, actually we Sorry. should we have like this whole historical thing we need to tell you guys i know um, oh and i'm emily oh i'm joy and this is this is the, the, the residuals. residuals jesus christ we're uh, super hi. serious <laughs> yes about not listening to christmas music unless it's sanctioned by me um so uh, we uh recently spent a night at the hotel del coronado Mm-hmm. As we have mentioned before, Emily and I were going on the 29th of December to the Hotel del Coronado. 
Um, before we give you our lengthy, frightened recount, <laughs> is it a noun recount, right? I don't know. It is noun. Ha! Um, before we do that, we wanted to give you a history of the hotel because it's really fucking interesting. Um, and just a history of the paranormal stuff that has gone on there. Yes. Um, so the hotel is in the town of Coronado on the, on Coronado Island, which is just this little Island off of San Diego. So it's known as the Dell or the hotel Dell, and it is a historic beachfront hotel in Coronado, just across from San Diego Bay. Um, it's one of the few surviving examples of an American architectural genre called the wooden Victorian beach resort. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. And it is the second largest wooden structure in the United States after the Tillamook Air Museum in Oregon. Um, 1970, it was designated a California historical landmark. And then seven years later, a national historic landmark. Mm -hmm. um, it's unbelievably beautiful. And the way that they built it, it's an all wood structure. I mean, a lot of it was built with just the peg, like the wooden pegs and not screws or nails too. Oh. So, I mean, gigantic, Shit. huge undertaking that like they had to even figure out where the lumber was coming from. And I believe they had it shipped from Eureka down the coast because there just wasn't enough lumber anywhere nearby to Jeez. build this huge thing because they wanted specific kinds of wood. Well, also it's on, it's on a tiny island. Yes. So yeah. yeah, it's on an island. There was no bridge to the island at the time. Um, so, you know, it was, it was harder to get there, but originally there was nothing on the island. Um, there in 1885, five investors went in together to buy all of Coronado and North Island, which was approximately 4,000 acres. Um, there was E.S. Babcock, who was a retired railroad executive, Hampton L. Story of the Story and Clark Piano Company of Chicago, Jacob Grundyke, if I'm saying that name right, mm. uh, who was the president of the First National Bank of San Diego, and Herbert Engel and Joseph Collette. In 1886, they created the Coronado Beach Company, after which they established a number of additional enterprises to support the development of the Coronado. They made the Coronado Ferry Company. They built wharves and storage facilities. They basically built anything and everything they would need to make a town and have people able to come to their resort. Shit. Wait, so, so there was no bridge before this day? They, they, they didn't even they, have a bridge then. The bridge yeah. came way later. It was ferries to begin oh with. God. So kind of like Catalina. Yeah. Like the wine mixer. Kidding. Sorry. Yeah. Carry on. That's uh, squirrel. So they had to figure out a way to fund this. So they took lots and they sold the land to people on the island to fund their project. They wanted to make this, this hotel one that would be the talk of the Western world, something that was iconic, where people would come from all over the world and people would continue to come long after they were gone. Right. So they had this great big vision. But when I was researching, looking for original blueprints, I found out that there really weren't any. 
because they just kind of went off of like a very preliminary sketch that they made of what they wanted it to look like. So it seems like it was more built like as they went and didn't have like major architectural plans laid out prior. Which it's funny you say that because the whole time we were there, you were like, this is some Winchester mist like house yeah. <laughs> fuckery, which is basically how that house came to appear the way that it does. Yeah. I mean, the, the Coronado was built all at the same time, but because they were going off of these sketches and they didn't have an exact blueprint, I think right. they sort of had to like kind of make a few things up as they went. <sighs> The most that they sort of said was that the design included a courtyard, a pavilion tower, and a dining wing. And Reed would later say that the preliminary sketches were quickly prepared and because of lack of time, remained the unchanged basis of construction. That's a quote. Jesus. (laughs) They're like, ooh, we didn't have time to write this all down, so just go off the sketch we made. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) That's totally cool. That's fine. In May of 1887, they began construction. And even though they were finished um, sooner than the technical birthday, I think they were finished sometime in January, 1888. Um, The hotel's official birthday is celebrated on February 19th, Uh 1888. Um, And that was the day that it served its first meal in the dining room. So that's what they consider its birthday when we've mm-hmm. officially served a meal. Room rates, which included three meals a day, started at about $2.50 a day. <laughs> oh, God. Wait, what is, is that? What's that in today money? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> the hotel was built at a total cost of $600,000 and furnished for $400,000. Okay. So wait, hang on a minute. <sighs> You do that. I'm going to keep talking. When the Hotel Del Coronado debuted, it was considered a technological marvel because electricity was still a novelty at the time. And it was one of the like only electrified hotels. Okay. So sorry, 600,000 in 1888 is now uh, basically 18.1 million. Sounds right. Because they did run out of money at some point and have to bring in other investors. Um, yeah. It's- one of the investors, I think, actually bought the entire place later and then resold it. This place has been bought and sold a lot Ooh. over the years. Lots and lots of people have had their hands in this hotel. Right. Um, so um, in it was one of the first places to be electrified. Um, and although some people say Thomas Edison has something to do with it. He did not install the electrical system. That's just an urban legend. Um, but the Dell also, they built their own power plant there. So they supplied electricity to the rest of the city of Coronado. So if you bought land from them, then you had the ability to have it electrified on mm-hmm. your property. Um, I was reading that when they wired everything they had the gas lines running through for light because previously everything was lit with gas lamps. So they had run gas lights through, but then I guess they ran the electrical wire through the gas pipes so that if the electricity went, they had a backup 
and they that could just turn on safe. It doesn't, right? But that <laughs> but sounds they were, flammable. They were, in fact, like conscious of the fact that they were building a huge wooden structure on an island that didn't have like a fire department. <laughs> like, right. So they had water supplied from other places. They had cisterns they had built. Um, they were making plans for uh, fire prevention and um, the ability to control a fire if it did start. So okay. they were thinking about that to the, the best they could at that time. Um, if you look at like the front, what is, I guess, the front of the building when you pull up to the driveway, um, it has a stained glass window on the front facade. We looked at it. It's like amazing looking. Right. When I started doing research for it, I noticed that in the old pictures, there was a huge chimney that ran like four or five stories up the front of the building and the stained glass window had been in the fireplace. Like it was in the brick. Oh, no shit. So why would the they have a stained glass window in what in brick? I mean, it was just set in there. I think the fireplace must have split and gone around it. Oh, okay. So that you could still see it from the other side. Uh -huh. um, but the fireplace was removed in the 20s. Okay. And then the stained glass window like moved to various interior locations. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. We'll have to put up pictures too, because to look at it now, like you can tell that restoration has been done. Right. But the front where you go in and like the big, um, the veranda where all the rocking chairs are and the portico under the driveway, all of that was taken down recently, like gutted into the main lobby. Okay. All of it was taken out and redone and restored. So a lot of work has gone on, on in this place, like just leading. I mean, it's been open 132 years now. Yeah. And the only time it's shut down was 2020 during COVID. Jesus. That's the only time that it has not been operation. So tons of people in and out all the time, staff, celebrities, presidents, like people who couldn't spend the money at the resort would come. And from, I think it was like 1930 to 38, or maybe it was 1920. Let me check. I have like three pages of notes here. That's okay. So from 1900 until 1938, there was a tent city. So there was like this it was a popular camp style destination for travelers who came to Coronado Island, but they couldn't afford to stay in the hotel. Yeah. So it was basically set up like a little city and it had a grid of streets and they became like well-worn roads and they had trees lining them and the tent was electrified. So you could have like basically a glamping situation oh my God. where you would have like electric lights and matted floorboard and beds and cots and a washstand and mirrors and tables and all the stuff that you would have in like a hotel room, but right. they made it in the little tent city. So they could get more people there to spend money and do things there, even if they couldn't stay in the hotel. Okay. It seems like it was a really, really smart setup the way that they did everything. It seems very smart. I mean, business-wise, it sounds like a great way to do it. Right. <laughs> like you get investors to pay for the hotel where you want to draw more people. And then you just create your own ferry line and your own everything. And you're in charge of all of it because you just made your own town. Right. Uh, specifically, the crown room was considered an architectural achievement. 
spans 160 feet by 60 feet without any pillars to interrupt the view. And it has 33 foot high ceilings. It's paneled in Oregon sugar pine. And the Wizard of Oz author, L. Frank Baum, who I love endlessly, um, it's created, he's credited for designing the famous crown chandeliers that were installed in 1911. Okay. Um, and he also stayed there quite a bit. He was there between 1904 and 1910. And he wrote at least three of the Oz series books at the hotel during his stays. And he wrote of the Coronado, every day her loveliness shines pure without a flaw, new charms entrance our every glance and fill our souls with awe. Wow. Um, there have been a, it's a huge list of you know notables and celebrities and, and things that have been there. I will list a bunch now and I'm sure I'm You're leaving right. people off. Presidents, Harrison, McKinley, Taft, Wilson, Roosevelt, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush one and two, and Clinton. <laughs> Celebrities like Douglas Fairbanks, Charlie Chaplin, Rudolph Valentino, Clark Gable, wow. Errol Flynn, Mae West, Joan Crawford, Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, Ginger Rogers, Thomas Edison, Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> Vincent Price, Babe Ruth, James Stewart, Betty Davis, uh, Kevin Costner, Whoopi Goldberg, Gene Hackman, George Harrison, Keanu Reeves, Brad Pitt. Oh, Keanu, sorry. <laughs> Rewind. Hang on. Go back. Go back. What room did he stay in? I know. Um, Barbara Streisand, Oprah Winfrey. And that's, wow. I mean, obviously a short list because I'm right. sure a million people have been there. I, um, I mean, that bunch of presidents have been there. So yeah. Yeah. Um, movies, Some Like It Hot. Uh, there was a horror movie called Wicked Wicked in the 70s that was filmed there. The Stuntman was filmed there in 1980, and they actually built um, a prop tower on top of the Coronado that they blew up in part right? of the movie. Um, the Girl, the Gold Watch, and Everything in 1980. I think Pam Dauber was in that. Oh. And My Blue Heaven in 1990 was... Really? Um, yeah. Also... Another one of my favorite authors. <laughs> uh, the initial inspiration for Stephen King's short story, 1408, came from collections of real life news stories about paranormal things that happened at the hotel and things that were uh, investigated by Christopher Chacon. I don't know if I'm saying their name right. Um, but the investigation that he did in 93 that I wow. think Emily is going to talk more about in a little bit. Um, I think I've, I got, I have some, I have some, I have some stuff okay. um, about the history, especially about the, the one, the, the, the one tragedy there that happened. That With most, Isidore? No, the Kate. Kate. Oh, okay. All right. Hang on. Um, so yeah, I think Emily's going to um, talk about that and some other stuff in a little bit. Um, but let me just get through the go for it. Go the for technical, it. historical. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Um, so like I was saying, it has been, it's, it's been um, 
it's transferred hands a lot of times. Like a lot of people have owned this. In 1948, Barney Goodman purchased the hotel from the Spreckles, who were the people that took it over um, from the original owners. In 1960, local millionaire John Alessio purchased the hotel and spent $2 million on refurbishment and redecorating. Three years later, Alessio sold the hotel to M. Larry Lawrence, which, come on, names. Oof. Um, that, that's a, Larry Lawrence? That's, M. that's some original. M. Larry Lawrence. You could have been like Michael L. Lawrence. I don't yeah. know how much you hate the M. Mr. Lawrence's initial plan was to develop the land around the hotel and ultimately demolish it. No. What? But he later changed his mind. Uh, I hope it was because a ghost came and smacked him in his sleep. And well, his name was Larry Lawrence. So, you know, but during the time that he owned it, he did invest 150 million in it to refurbish and expand much of the hotel. So he doubled its capacity to 700 rooms and he added the Grand Hall Convention Center and two seven-story ocean towers just south of the hotel. So like things have been added on over time. They actually moved an entire hotel that was on the island originally. I think it was um, on the North Island section. They just like drove it over and plopped it on Coronado property. So I don't know what the fuck came with that hotel, but <laughs> wait, so <laughs> is it, is it standing on its own or was it like, yeah. somehow? Yeah. It's, it's, it's separate. It's its own separate building. Like oh. on, I think it might've been that one that we saw when we pulled up, but I'm not sure I have to, I'd have to. Check. Yeah. Cause I feel I like I'm going to be researching this thing that. forever. No, yeah. It's there's so many there's so much we can't cover all of it now i'm trying to like give you enough background to understand that like so much has been done so many people have had their hands in this there are i mean like even in world war ii era like so many hotels were taken over and commandeered as like hospitals and things like that that the dell never got taken over they were so close to the naval base that they actually told the government, hey, we're giving rooms like first and foremost to families of soldiers because this might be the last time they ever see them. Right. Ooh. So like the emotional like scars <laughs> just Shit. from that, like there's so much stuff <laughs> that happened oh here. Um, so... <sighs> The, okay. La- the Lawrence breath. family. I you know. got this. You got this. 1966, the Lawrence family sold the hotel to the Travelers Group after Mr. Larry Larry died. Um, the Travelers Group completed a 55 million upgrade in Holy 2001, brick. including seismic retrofitting. Super important. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then there was like this whole convoluted thing that seemed like a bunch of financial institutions got involved in buying it. And then there were mergers. So it changed hands technically a whole bunch of times. And then the, by the way, did you know that 55 million in 2001 is now $86,319,254 and 66 cents. I don't understand that. 2001 was like two years ago, Emily. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hang on sorry i'm sitting on my delia's catalog let me move (laughs) let me shift a minute 
Well done. Well done. Thank you. So, um, Blackstone Corporation or something, Inc. I don't fucking know anymore. I'm so confused with all of these different people that bought it. So many um, different fingers in the pot. It was just like this this big corporation gobbled up another corporation. So then they owned it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that happened down the way. But then they tried to send to sell all of their assets to a company from China. And there was something about the situation with the Dell where they were like, the proximity of our naval base, which is like on the same island or right. not far away, was too close. Okay. So they were like, we are not selling this to a Chinese company. I think that's what that's what I gleaned from the information I was reading. Okay. Um, so it remained um, Blackstone. Okay. Um, and then in 2017, Hilton Hotels and Resorts took it over. Mm-hmm. kept the name obviously but they added it to their curio collection ew fancy <laughs> um but it's still owned by blackstone hilton just manages it so uh, is hilton the one who made the decision to put the the titty parasols all over the walls i believe so i would say yes we we, we took a bunch of videos of the interior <laughs> and I was watching them back last night because what, why lady not parts lady parts everywhere they're, they're it is. Georgia O'Keeffe carpets which were those were great actually so those good. I really enjoyed I wanted to get pictures of those and maybe tattoo a couple on myself oh, you know I got pictures I'll be sending you some <laughs> I, I actually put some in the Dropbox so last night so but they have these giant the the way Exactly what Jerry was, you know, talked about with the way this thing was built. They, these, with it having, you know, these external hallways. The, yeah, the interior veranda and the courtyard used to just be open to go through. Yes. So you would get to your suite or your room that way. Yeah. And now they've separated them into like balconies for individual suites. So you have to go inside to like the wonky sort of off kilter hallways in some right. sections. And uh, and and a lot of them back in ye olden times, at least uh, as far as the the blueprints that do exist yeah. show, um, they were originally suites. So mm-hmm. they've carved out, they've carved up these suites into rooms, and then they've carved out these weird, tiny labyrinth style hallways. <laughs> yeah, but they to don't make, make it, sense without the veranda. No, but you know, to make it in an effort to make it less claustrophobic they've pasted these giant fucking pink uh images of sun umbrellas just beach umbrellas like stuck in the sand but but if you look at them for long enough you're just like as a titty look at all the nipples yeah look at all the areolas but it's also when i was looking at videos that we'd taken of us walking down the hallway it is it lends to this weird visual mind funhouse mirror yeah, thing totally because you've got these giant images repeated and yet the hallway is abnormally narrow and then because the building in this side is so old like the floor is wonky so wonky so wonky <laughs> so wonky and like the fifth floor especially i was looking at the video of the fifth floor and it was like what the fuck i know like if i hadn't gotten it on video i would have legitimately thought 
that I had just accidentally eaten mushrooms yeah, because yeah. the walls are bending exactly. in at you. The yeah, floor totally is weird. an angle. The ceiling's at a different angle than the floor. It's like, no, and it's just, it's always really and, skinny. And a lot of it, like we had said, like, like a lot of it we surmised was later turned into guest rooms, but originally staff housing. Yeah. And like, there's just been a lot of carving up. Like we, when we stayed, we were in what is now room 3327. And I found on the, um, through the library of Congress actually is where the, the maps are. Like those Check are the ones I'm going out. off of. Fancy. I'm not looking at just like someone who sketched this. Um, yeah. It, it's the closest to original ones, but they have reproductions of them. And if you look where we stayed, the configuration of the room is very different. It still had a door where our door was, but the bathroom was in a different place. And there was another door on the other side of the room that went to two other adjoining rooms in the suite. Right. So it's kind of left me like, well, why is just one section of this suite supposed to be haunted? And then you don't hear about the other rooms having any issues. So there's just like stuff like that, that has really kind of lit a fire under my very lazy ass to be like, what's going on with this hotel? And how many times has it been redone? And I like got very into it. And um, just quickly, I'll finish this last bit. Um, It was the hotel, they began redevelopment expansion in February, 2019 they added a new entryway with more guest rooms, parking garages, another restaurant, and a bunch of other stuff. And they're projecting it to last for three years and cost oh $400 million. So they're still doing things. Like we were there and we could see that the floors had just been restored, yes. re, like re-sanded, repolished, that and kind of lobby, thing. And the lobby was yeah. fucking gorgeous. Unreal. But gorgeous. even from... I found this YouTube video, friends. Oh, joy. And it is basically just, it's basically just a recording of a Zoom meeting that the the builders had with other investors and other people that were working on the project. And it's super boring, but it was very fascinating because they would put up like the most likely to be original old ass picture they had mm-hmm. next to what was going on. And then they oh. put up their projected what they wanted to do. So like the original um, railings and like the spindles, I cannot think of the word right now for in between the railings. Yeah. But no. like the little balustrades. Brrr, no, that's that railings, the railings, railing, the, the railings. railings. Sure. It's not like up to code now. Cause you oh. know, no one cared back then. If you fell off of something too fucking bad, people were walking across the Brooklyn bridge on like a, you know, no. balance beam. If a kid falls through that, it's their own fucking fault. Nobody they'll, cares. They'll know not to do it again. That's exactly. how they learn. So they've had to change things to be with current codes for safety. Um, but they went back and looked at things to find the style and the right angles and, and things like that. Because I guess in the sixties, they put that portico thing over at the drop-off section at the front where the ballet was right and we saw it was beautiful it was all lit up and it had these big globes of like lights and it was very victorian looking and it looked like it went along with everything i think in the 60s they put it there and it was just this like flat fucking stucco eyesore thing that stuck on like why did the 60s ruin everything well some parts of the 60s yes other parts of the 60s Penn Station I'll never I will never 
get no. over Penn Station. And I yes. wasn't even there. No. <laughs> I'm just saying there were some there were some architectural things that came out of the 60s that were okay, but there were a lot that were stucco and not that great. I feel like there was just a lot of stuff in that era where people were like, fuck all this old shit. Yeah. And like that's when I feel like maybe there was more of a boom of like, hi, historic landmark. Can we like get approved so you don't ruin this? Right. Um, so they've redone that and it looks now like it goes original with the rest of the architecture. So there is this super nerdy YouTube video that I watched. And if you want to watch it, message me and I'll send you a link. Um, but um, that showed, it also showed the fireplace being taken out and moved. It showed that they like ripped out the whole front and redid it again. Holy and, shit. and from what I read, it sounds like they're planning to redo the guest rooms <gasps> because they need it. <laughs> They're going to redo the whole lobby to look like that. Yeah. The rest of it needs to get a good, if, like, exactly. sanding and repainting and staining, too. And maybe they can take down the titty brellas in the God, in, on please, the walls. Please. It was just very... a nice textured, like, cream yes. wallpaper, even to give a little, like, embossing feel would be great. But the titty brellas, man, I will give them a bit of slack because, um, 2020, they shut it down because right. of COVID and right. I'm sure they lost a shit ton of money. Oh, of course. Um, so, you know, they haven't had the same funds as usual to upkeep things. Like I, I get it. Like, look at the fucking queen Mary, Ugh. you know? So Damn. there are a lot of heartbreaking things that happened in 2020 that, ooh, couldn't have been planned for. No. So I'll give them a chance. Come on, Hilton. Let's fucking get do rid this. of the boobs. Um, but yeah, the the projected um restoration so far looks incredible. So oh, I imagine amazing. if they do the I same thing wait. throughout the entire hotel, like I can't wait to go back and see it. Um, but yes, that is a long but short um history <laughs> of the Hotel Del Coronado. Amazing. <laughs> um, it did, you know, in the history and on their website, it does mention that a young woman named Kate Morgan stayed there and um, did not leave alive. There was another actress there, um, Isadora Rush. She was an American stage actress who was in vaudeville and Broadway. And she actually drowned in the waters off of um, the Coronado. But those are the two big, like, deaths there. And, oddly, on New Year's Day in 1937, during the Great Depression, there was a gambling ship, the SS Monte Carlo, who was known for drinks, dice, and dolls. Ooh. And it shipwrecked on the <gasps> beach about a quarter mile south from the hotel. But since it ran aground, it like somebody had to take ownership of it and yeah. nobody wanted to get in trouble because it yeah. was like doing all this illegal shit out in international. Right. Waters. So no one claimed it. So it just sat there and it's <gasps> still there. And there's just this giant shipwreck that like, sometimes if it gets low enough, you can see it. So oh, I just God. wanted to throw that in. Cause like, I didn't say that anyone died. I think everybody got off safely. Yeah. It was fine. But like, just think it's really funny that everybody's like, nope, it's not my yeah, ship. I, I don't know. I don't, that's weird. Not my, I was just walking down the beach. Not my ship. 
If you have a scary story of your own that when you listen to us, you think, oh, I should send my stuff in, email us at theresidualspodcast at gmail.com. We also have Instagram, the underscore residuals underscore podcast. And I think we have a Twitter too, don't we, Joy? We do. We definitely have a Twitter. It is at the residuals pod. Just that pod? Just that. Drop the cast for Twitter. We look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, should we get back to the show? Oh, heck yeah. All right. All right. Definitely fruit, fruit of my loom. Definitely fruits of my looms. Right. Loins. Oh, yeah, that too. The fruits of my loins. Did I call it fruit of my looms? You said she's definitely fruit of my looms. I mean. Underpants. Let's say, let's just go on the record and say that would probably make more sense in some um, 11 anyway, p.m. Uh, about, way. about that paranormal shit. So, Joy. <laughs> yes. Let's let's get into the spooky shit about the Hotel Del Coronado, should we? Shall yes, we? Please. Yes, let's, please. Let's I hang on, it. right? Dude. Everyone listening is just like, thank fucking God. Joy was talking about the stupid history of this stupid place for so long. No, but you have to. Someone out there has to be like me, like just super into it. It's okay. Right. So shall we do this? Yes, please. I'm excited. Let's do this. So I got these from a few different sources. Um, I'm going to be going through also the coroner's um inquest um official thing indeed um so yeah so these are collected from different areas um including a really great medium uh piece that was written by um a gal by the name of heather monroe so thanks for your help on this heather because i'm gonna read your shit okay so let's get to it okay On Thanksgiving Day of 1892, an elegant woman walked into the lobby of the distinguished Hotel del Coronado, which was a new hotel, uh, and she was alone, and she used the door that was specifically put in for unaccompanied females, because apparently that was weird. Right. right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So she... shady shit. Yep, so she was dressed to the fucking nines, but she had no luggage. She had no suitcases. All she had was a handbag. So she registered at the front desk under the name of Mrs. Lottie A. Bernard. I would have called it Bernard, but I'm sure it's Bernard. Um, American is Bernard. Fucking, anyway. Bernard from Detroit. And the front desk assigned her to room 302, which is now 3327. And 3327 is where you and I stayed. And it used to also be 3312. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it went from 302 to 3312. And now it's 3327. So fucking confusing for anyone alive or dead. Anyway, so... um, (laughs) Uh, but, but, so basically a woman traveling alone without the accompaniment of a man was super weird 
1892 and it was so unusual that you know they had a door just for unaccompanied women which is fucking weird but anyway whatever <sighs> but apparently that the staff was concerned for her but uh Lottie as she had signed in as assured them that her brother Dr Anderson would arrive soon with her luggage to take care of her and she told them that the two had parted in Orange California but they'd made plans to reunite at the Hotel Del Coronado. So okay. Lottie remained in her room most of the time. Housekeeper visited uh, during the workday and Lottie uh, told the housekeeper that she was a 24-year-old woman suffering from stomach cancer. And Lottie spoke sorrowfully of her health and hinted that she wouldn't recover, you know, very tragic shit, right? So each day... Uh, during her stay, Lottie would ask the hotel staff if her brother, the uh, Dr. Anderson, had arrived or left a message for her, and the answer was always no. Lottie made trips inland to the Brewster Hotel and would ask for Dr. and Mrs. Anderson, but there were never any guests registered under either of those names. And as each day went on, like Lottie became really despondent um, without any word from her brother so on the fourth day of her stay mrs bernard told uh the maid that she wanted to take a two-hour bath to try and ease her pain it's like very specific right yeah i would be like i want to take a real long bath but like right as a lover of baths i will say that's a lot of pulling the plug refilling topping off with hot water pull the plug which is why she had to like tell the maid listen i'm gonna need you for the next two hours i'm gonna need (laughs) you back in 15 minutes with the kettle right so anyway but the maid was like "Mm, maybe that's not a great idea because for some reason the maid was like but you have stomach cancer you shouldn't take a two-hour bath like that's not how that works but uh, whatever i don't even how yeah. easy was it to diagnose stomach cancer? I, I mean, that's I the other thing. Like, I have no idea. But <sighs> check this out, Joy. Mm. This is where I don't know. So she insisted the maid prepared the tub. Right after an hour of being in the tub, she called for a bellman, and so they sent up a bellman by the name of Harry West, and she asked him to rub her head. And head rubbing wasn't really a service that the hotel provided. And so Lottie was Lottie convinced him by paying him an entire day's salary to do so that. So she's just this weird loaded bitch in this room. She's wanting rich, to take like she's long lonely. ass baths and like pay to have somebody rub her head. I mean, listen, I'll tell you right now, I love having my hair washed when I go to get my head on it's one of my favorite fucking things yes rub my head i love it but i'm not gonna call down to the front desk and ask for the bellman while i'm naked in the tub hi can you please come and you know give me a bit of a cranial massage (laughs) anyway so harry went up and noticed that she seemed quote unquote nervous and slightly unhinged and that her hair was drenched to the roots. So the implication of this, um, which I'll get to um, in a little bit when I read about the the coroner's um, 
stuff is that they think that she maybe tried to drown herself in the bathtub on this day and that she chickened out um, and her having Harry up to rub her head was kind of a cry for help to be like, yeah, my, my was hair like, is wet. like that. That's was not it like, really... I'm going to take a two hour bath. So don't bother me. I don't know. Yeah. Because then she calls for this guy, for the, for the doorman to come like, and Like, I know I was head. just like, you're going to have to be on call every 15 minutes to make the bath hot again. But I like, know, right. Was it more like, I'm going to be busy for two hours. So right. don't come back until two hours has gone by. So you can find my like drowned body in the tub. Mm-hmm weird yeah so on november 26th lottie appeared to be in a great deal of pain the hotel staff offered lottie a visit from the house physician but she declined she did however ask the in-house pharmacist to send the bellman up with cam four a sponge yeah. and a glass bottle mm-hmm. huff it get to it you know um why not so <laughs> Lottie, listen, people have done I mean, worse things in hotels. No, but that's just, that's just like nasally stuff, isn't it? Huh? Isn't that just like nasally stuff? It's not like, just like yeah. huffing ether. It's, it's for cough and skin irritation. Yeah. Isn't that like, yeah. Like when you have like a stuffed nose and shit. Yeah. It's, it's like me huffing my Vicks tub that's in the drawer next to my bed. It's an evergreen tree that's mostly found in East Asia. Like it's delicious. It's yeah. I mean, maybe you can get high from it. Who knows? I don't know. Don't at me, parents. If you find your children going <laughs> ham on some Vicks vapor rub after Emily this. said it was fine. Listen, I'm. They, if these children, I, if they're going to be huffing Vicks, I'd rather they sniff a jar of Vicks than eat a Tide pod. That's all I'm going to say. True. Vicks is wonderful. Anyway. Yes. Anyway. So. Weird requests. Camper, <sighs> jar, MacGyver, exactly. shit. Weird. So she was entirely alone and she, you know, she sent a telegram to a guy called G.L. Allen of Hamburg, Iowa, asking him for $25, but received no immediate response. And her mood during her stay at this point had fluctuated between utter melancholy, really sad and absolute panic. So the Monday after her arrival, Lottie asked the bellman about her brother again, Dr. Anderson, and he gave the final answer and Lottie lamented Oh, no one comes to me anymore. She sounds like a fucking ray of sunshine. Lottie went to town and purchased an American Bulldog brand 44 revolver. When she returned, she made sure to tell the ferryman goodbye. And then it rained. Oh, man, the ferryman, everything. It's very like. It's really, um, it's, it's, it's dramatic. It's very it's like Greek dramatic. tragedy. It really is. It's the, She flipped him two pennies and said, thanks. Think of me. <laughs> Goodbye. So in the early evening of November 28, 1892, staff saw Lottie standing on the hotel veranda in the rain. She wore a black lace headscarf and stared blankly into the sea as the waves broke 
The next morning, the hotel electrician, David Cohn, was off doing his stuff when he noticed a woman dressed in black laying across the steps leading from the veranda to the beach. And when he approached the, the woman, he realized she was dead. An American bulldog twin, uh, 44 caliber pistol lay two inches from her hand and the staff recognized the woman as Lottie. So... <gasps> The coroner quickly ruled the death a suicide, although they didn't perform an autopsy. Uh, there was an entrance room near her right temple, but because of the rain, it was torrential rain, it had washed a lot of the blood away, so it was just the wound. Sure. Um, but they felt like just finding the entrance wound there that told them everything they need to know. So uh, the body, when they found it, was soaking wet and stiff. Oh, and so they removed it. That was a good few hours. Yeah, yeah. So they took it to the undertaking rooms in San Diego. But here's the thing if she's on the steps on the veranda on the ocean front, there's a lot of ocean front rooms. How did no one hear the gun go off? Do it you know what I mean? Storm. Was it a thunder? I mean, there's waves it breaking. Was, they it called was- it a tempest. And, and yeah, it was a bad storm. But still, if it's outside your window, she was 15. Like she was on the steps. Well, it was also the end of November. How many people were there? Uh, good point. I don't think that it would be packed like it would in the summer. The good windows point. wouldn't be open. It was raining. The mm-hmm. waves crashing. Um, I don't think there was as much hotel-like landscaping then from the pictures mm-hmm. I've seen. It looked like the beach was much closer to yeah. the building. Um, now there's, you know, like a pool and cabanas and all this other stuff and then the beach even after that but the pictures i've seen make it look like the beach was much closer so the surf could have been noisier it could have there been. was a storm it was windy like and okay. it was one shot right so it's the kind of thing where you go what was that oh no i didn't hear it again so right. <laughs> okay good point i don't know That's i see I'm- i i i feel you Okay. Um, or who's to say somebody didn't go outside, see her, and be like, oh, I'm not, I'm, nope, I'm not the touching that here. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, I don't know what I would have done. Maybe that, but I also watch a lot of Dateline, so maybe not. Um, they didn't have that then. You're right. They didn't. Ugh, if only they'd had Keith Morrison back then, they would have figured this shit out a lot quicker than they did. Because Indeed. let me tell you, Joy. Yes. Police, you like that? Police searched room 302 where she'd been staying for almost a week to figure out how to contact her relatives. And inside they found a number of quinine pills, quinine, quinine, quinine. Yeah. So in this back then it was typically used to treat malaria. Do you know what I use it for? I drink tonic water when I get a twitchy eye Yeah, and I'm winking at people like a lusty bar wench. Yes. yes. That's when I take it. I love that look on you. I know. What? (laughs) Joy. Makes me feel special. Yeah, it should. <laughs> twitching eye for should be twitching in your pants. Okay. Oh, well. Hey. Mm. Sorry. Inappropriate. <sighs> okay. Lottie had burned most of her letters. Um, really? the one, yeah. So the one remaining envelope had cryptic scribblings such as Lottie Anderson Bernard, the name Lillian Russell, and the sentence, I don't know any such man. Huh? Yeah. That's the one remaining envelope. And it was just random scribblings on it. 
Interesting. Exactly. Investigators searched high and low for the family of Lottie and even sent a telegraph to GL Allen, who was the person she had sent a message to asking for money, who didn't respond. They were unable to locate anyone in Detroit who matched the description. And as a matter of fact, the Lottie A. Bernard that they did find in Detroit was alive and well. And so at that point, it became apparent that Lottie Anderson Bernard was an alias and police set out to find out who the dead woman was and return her to her family. Interesting. So police had a sketch artist go to Johnson and Company's undertaking rooms, which is where she'd been taken to in San Diego to sketch the dead woman. And the sketch was published across the nation along with the description height, five and a half feet, um, complexion fair but sallow. I mean, obviously she's she's dead, dead but Come all right. On. Medium length of black hair, two small moles on the left cheek, broad features, oh. high cheekbones, brown eyes, blah blah blah. Uh, she's got uh, good teeth, plain gold ring on third finger of left hand. Um, I mean, yeah, good teeth. I mean, she's able to take care of herself. Well, good teeth in in 1892 meant that she had money, right? Especially because they were like, oh, she looks about 26. So um, there was a woman by the name of uh, Mrs. Wiley. So she heard about the dead woman at the Coronado and she immediately suspected that it might be her daughter, Lizzie Wiley, who had gone missing so police sent the sketch and mrs wiley was convinced it's her daughter because the description matched identically even down to the two moles so the newspapers were notified um, that the mystery had been solved and they positively identified this deceased woman as lizzie wiley said she choked into the hotel del coronado and ended her life right but by the time the ink dried on the newspapers reporting the identification of, of, of Lizzie, um, the police were starting to realizing that there were just major discrepancies between the dead woman and Lizzie Wiley. Lizzie Whoa. did have moles similar, but Lizzie had her ears pierced and the dead woman showed no signs of ever having pierced ears. Huh. And it goes on that then in December, a few weeks later, Mrs. Wiley actually received a letter from her daughter Lizzie and Lizzie was actually alive and well and living in Toronto and did not intend to return and just wanted nothing to do with her mother. Hey, so it what, happens. Yep. Once again, <laughs> this poor woman who had called herself Lottie was again unidentified. Wow. So <laughs> they did what they did back then. They embalmed her and stuck her in the window of the undertaker in the hope that someone local would recognize her. Whoa. So that happened. Oh, wow. Meanwhile. That's so interesting. Right? Meanwhile. Did they have a sign that was like, do you know this woman? I mean, I don't know. I couldn't find a picture of it. And to be honest, I don't think I want to. I don't think I've ever heard of that. I would love to see a picture of that, actually. I know you would. Yes. Um, Okay. So. Huh. Meanwhile. In Los Angeles, a Mr. Grant of South Hill Street, he was missing his favorite maid who went by the name of Katie Logan. That's so on the no- street I tattoo on. Oh, shit. 917 South Hill Street. Oh, no. 728. Oh, poo. Still neighborhood. Yeah. Not far. Well, he was missing his favorite maid, 
Katie Logan, not his, mm, she'll do, but his favorite one. Um, on November 23rd, Katie told him that she needed to go to San Diego to have some documents signed. And she promised that she- Sorry, did you say Katie Logan? Yeah. Okay. Get, just stick with me on this one. So anyway, uh, November 23rd, Katie told him she needed to go to San Diego to have documents signed, but she promised that she would return before Thanksgiving. And Katie was in good spirits and didn't appear to have a care in the world. And she left all of her belongings and carried just a satchel. But Katie never returned. Mr. Grant informed the police when he realized his Katie could be the unidentified woman in San Diego. So the investigators went to his home and they obtained Katie Logan's trunks, opened them, and inside amongst old photographs and locks of baby hair, there was a marriage certificate that listed the groom as Thomas E. Morgan and the bride was Katie K. Farmer, both from... Hamburg, Iowa. Now remember, oh, she sent a, a telegraph to Mr. Allen in Iowa yeah. for money. So it turns out Katie Logan was Mrs. Kate Morgan. Oh. Um, and Kate and Thomas were estranged, and Kate was keeping company with Thomas's stepbrother, G.L. Allen, otherwise known as Mr. Allen in Iowa who she's asking for money. Uh, so let's huh. go to uh, Kate and the brother-in-law's relationship, shall we? Whoa. So Kate and her brother-in-law, G.L. Allen, they had a turbulent relationship. He was a gambler and he and Kate developed a bit of a scam together. The, they, they would travel by train uh, where Kate would flirt with rich men um, and they would pass off um, Alan as her brother. So when the gentleman that she was flirting with showed interest in her, she told them that she would be happy to take the relationship further, wink, nudge, if they beat her brother at a game of cards. But then like <laughs> they would swindle these idiots out of their money and she'd be like oh no tough tough going no sorry about your blue balls no cookie for you (laughs) so anyway so on one such train kate and alan had an argument that ended with her disembarking in the city of orange and finding work in grant home interesting so it seems kate went to the coronado to meet somebody as evidenced in the constant questioning about her brother's whereabouts, Mr. Allen had posed as her brother before, so it seems likely that she went to meet him. So there is some evidence that Kate didn't have cancer at all, but that she was pregnant. Yeah. Or as the newspapers put it, they said that she was ruined. Oh, that's cute. And that Kate may <sighs> have requested the sponge, bottle, camphor, and quinine to induce an abortion. Sure. I mean, if you're going to say you have stomach cancer, that would explain you having like morning sickness. Exactly. And also being in agony from inducing this, right? Well, I'm thinking, well, if she went there to have an abortion. Right. She's waiting for the doctor to show up to do it, maybe. Yeah. Dr. Um, Anderson. And then he doesn't show up. And then she's like, well, I guess I have to take matters into my own hands. Exactly. (sighs) This is so sad. Anyway, um, 
So all that being said, Kate's body remained at The Undertaker and they needed to bury her. And investigators located her grandfather and sent him a telegram asking him what to do with the body. And his response was the only communication was Kate's family. And his response read as such, your telegram received regarding Kate Morgan, knee farmer, bury her and send me the statement. And that was it. And so Kate was buried in San Diego at Mount Hope Cemetery following a brief service attended by several local women. No family or friend of Kate's was present. And no one followed the hearse to her grave. Oh, so so yes. So now I'm going to go to the coroner's report. Okay. So basically it's, all the same shit that I just told you, but it's in the language of it actually being written in 1892. Um, So I will start here. She, a young woman came to the hotel on Thanksgiving day and registered as Mrs. Lottie A. Bernard, Detroit. She was reserved and ladylike. Her clothing was fine, but she had no baggage, excepting a small handbag. She kept her room most of the time and was visited often by the housekeeper who learned that she was afflicted with cancer of the stomach. She said she was 24 years old and spoke often of her physical condition and was noticeably despondent, sometimes seeming to verge on melancholia, as when on one occasion she told the housekeeper she was also troubled with heart disease and despaired of recovering her health. Oh, Mm. there are signs pointing to an attempt on her part to commit suicide on Monday afternoon by means of drowning in her bath. She told the housekeeper that she proposed to take a warm bath for two hours or more. The matron remonstrated, saying it would weaken her, but the lady persisted and the bath was prepared. At the end of an hour, however, she appeared and sent for a bellboy to rub her head. It was then noticed that her hair was drenched to the roots, an unusual incident, and that her manner was nervous and unstrung. So let's keep going down here, shall we? Yeah. Undoubtedly, the lamentable suicide was the despairing act of one suffering from an incurable disease, perhaps induced depression of spirits caused by utter loneliness. It is understood that she was expecting a brother to arrive at the hotel and she anxiously awaited his coming. Monday morning, she inquired of a bellboy if he had arrived and receiving the usual discouraging answer, she said, oh, no one comes to me anymore. Then she nerved herself to the final act, burning all her letters and papers, except an envelope addressed to Mrs. Lottie Anderson Bernard, as if in reverie, her own name, Coronado, Lillian Russell, and I don't know any such man. The dreary day perhaps added to her despondency, and at night she went out in the heart of a storm within 15 feet of the ocean's edge and took her life. In her purse was found something over $20, and she seemed to have no stress for money, having telegraphed ahead to a Mr. Allen in Hamburg, Iowa, and received an answer that she could draw on him for $50 on site. Oh, so according to this, she did get a response, and she got $50. 
Yeah. Her bill at the Coronado was not presented as she had not been there a week. A telegram was sent to Mr. Allen to notify her relatives there and at Detroit, and the authorities will await their instructions as to the disposal of the remains. So let's go on to now the fact that hauntings 15 feet from the water yeah yeah it is a completely different layout totally different yeah so people traveled the world to stay in the room that she occupied for five days yeah that room being the one that you and i stayed in that's correct formerly 302 and now 3327 yes so um here are the supernatural occurrences that have been reported to occur there. And one of the things that I started to notice when we spoke with people, when we were there, which we'll talk about on our next full length episode, we're going to be talking about our time at the hotel and our experience there reading about it, even in the, all the publications, every single thing that you see, they attribute all of the paranormal activity at this giant fucking ancient hotel to Kate. There's no way. It's no fucking way that a hotel that's been around for over 130 years has one singular ghost that's causing paranormal mischief. I'm sorry. No, she's got to be exhausted by now. She's knackered. She needs a fucking holiday. So, yes. So often are the supernatural occurrences, my darling, that they have a official Hotel Del Coronado historian (laughs) um, who keeps a record of every single guest's encounters which we were not able to meet her when we were down there but I think if and when we go again it would be really nice to sit down with her and go yes, over this stuff that'd be super cool um so here are some of the things that people have reported soft footsteps walking around hotel patrons beds have been reported as well as the moving of physical objects several instances of pillows being stacked in a pyramid I said to have happened. <laughs> Why not? Um, people have said that they've spotted Kate strolling through the resort's garden along the beach and down its hallways. Guests have said that their televisions will turn off and on by themselves as well as their lights. And when this happens, they're usually accompanied by light breezes, scents of perfume, and disembodied sounds. No, thank <sighs> you. No. No. Yep. Um, so the gift shop uh, within the Hotel Coronado, Del Coronado features lots of memorabilia from a lot of the movies that you were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mostly they've got a, a Marilyn Monroe corner, which we from saw some when like we it hot. Exactly. Yeah. And so they've got memorabilia from Some Like It Hot, um, which, you know, filmed there. So audiences and guests alike have personally seen this memorabilia fall off shelves and racks onto the floor. So 12 years after Kate's death at the hotel, there was another death uh, by um, in 1904 by a vaudeville actress and stage singer by the name of Isidore Rush, and she drowned uh, on the beach. <sighs> and so Aww. the people who work at the gift shop, and this actually, actually this makes me stabby, I'm just going to say that before I say this staff seem to think that that when the things fall off the shelves, it's Isidore and Kate being jealous of the attention 
that Marilyn is getting. And I'm sorry. Why do we have to perpetuate catty, misogynistic bullshit, even as ghosts? Right. Exactly. I refuse. I refuse. I don't agree with that. And it's not just some fucking bullshit, whatever anyone wants to call it, feminist something. It's just fact. Like, don't fucking do that, mate. It's that it could, stupid. It could be Mr. Baum going, this beaded ruby slipper shit is not what I wrote about in my book. Exactly. Maybe he's just angry that ruby slippers perpetuate because they weren't ruby slippers. Folks who haven't read the Wizard of Oz books, they're silver slippers. So See? maybe he's just really angry and knocking over all the ruby slipper shit. Exactly. And it just so happens that it's by the Maryland corner. You sure. know, get it together, people. Whatever. It is just, actually. It is. I know. Because it's know. right there on that It is right floor. there. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, so here are some uh, actual accounts that have come out from recent years. I say recent. They're from the early 2000s. To me, that feels like last week. To other people, it's 20 years ago. So, I mean, it's very recent. Yeah, the hotel that. is 132 years exactly. old. Exactly. So am I. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, joy. In the year 2000. <laughs> in the year 2000. Uh, couples reported their bed sheets being ripped off of them on Valentine's Day in the middle of the night. Whoops, goops. Uh, recently, one gentleman checked into the hotel like any other day, put his luggage and belongings on his bed upon entering the room. And before unpacking, he went to use his bathroom. And when he came out, all of his suitcases were open and his clothing and belongings were strewn all over the room. Um, and oh so, yeah, no big deal. So it's reported that the gentleman simply asked to be placed into a different room. So that says something's for the hotel, uh, you know, for the hotel's quality. He's like, I'm going to stay here. I just want a different room. I don't want to leave. Things have been seen down the hallways. Like people like have seen things. Of things. Like people, like they, the word oh, used like was. Oh, like so full-bodied apparitions? The word used is phantoms in oh. some of the reports I've found. So maybe it's translucent, something out the corner of your eye, or you sure. see something and you're like, is that, is it not? I don't know. Oh. Um, numerous reports of feeling uneasy as if you're being watched. Um, it's not unusual for cleaning staff of the hotel to arrange to work in pairs to avoid being anywhere alone, which Whoa. also when my husband called um and made the room reservation for us and he specified what room he was looking for there was a long pause and the person was like okay we don't like to go in that room um and also you and I had a similar experience (laughs) with someone which we will talk about in our next episode I love that like the staff is so just like we don't like to do that but we'll take your money for it that's fine well it's either Um, that or they're like (laughs) Oh, these fucking dummies want to stay in this room. Oh, you shouldn't stay in there. It's so scary, but uh, okay. We stayed there and didn't get a different room. And I feel like I should have a t-shirt that says that. Now. Yeah, I, I survived. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll yeah, make. <laughs> I, sp- I survived room 302 at the Dell. Oh exactly. So drapes in room 3312. 
are often seen moving behind closed windows. So I was doing a think about this. 3312? 3312. So I was thinking about this. Our room, because the numbers were really fucking weird. Yeah. The numbers were so weird for the room. Like it didn't make sense, like how the rooms were laid out number wise. I started, when I read about this, I started thinking, could that be one of the rooms now that's an individual room that used to be part of a suite that was three? Oh, two. Because well, they've got it was supposed to be 302, then 3312, and then 3327. Right. I'm wondering if you're just reading an older report before they changed the new number. I don't know, but it Maybe says it's just here. The same one. Well, it says here that curtains are seen moving behind closed windows, um, and screens also fall off these windows for no apparent reason. Hmm. Um, so, yes. So, one of the more compelling stories, though, is. Uh, There was apparently an incident in May of 1983 that involved a Secret Service agent who was there to protect then Vice President Bush on an official visit to San Diego with the with the base right by there. Oh, yeah. So apparently the agent didn't even last the entire night in room 3502. Oh. He was complaining of feeling a breeze and seeing billowing drapes despite the windows being closed, hearing, no. gurg- yeah, hearing gurgling <laughs> sounds, and finally no. a ghostly glow that clung to the entire room. No. Yeah. Those, I've known a couple. I've known a They're couple tough of motherfuckers. that. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, he's like, oh, they go lots of places with lots of people for yeah. lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Whoa. So that happened. So do you want me to talk about Christopher uh, Chacon? I would love that. Yes, please. Well, then, Joy. Okay, get comfy. Um, In 1992, which happens to also be 100 years. years ago. Yes, three (laughs) years ago and 100 years after Kate Morgan's uh, untimely death. Oh, yes. Hotel Doc Coronado contracted with parapsychologist and anomalist uh, Christopher Chacon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I could not be. It's Chacon. Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Khan. The Ka is the second Ka, silent. Exactly. Okay, yep. there we go. They contracted him to conduct a confidential assessment of the ongoing anomalous paranormal phenomena that was reported throughout the resort. And this was a continuous 24-hour-a-day, 12-month investigation. That's bananas. Bonkers. So, and here's the other thing. This was in 1992. Yeah. I would be fascinated to see what they would come up with now 30 years later considering right. the, the advances alone right so this investigation involved an expansive environment scanning and monitoring with both on-site technology throughout the property including rooms and grounds so like observing certain rooms and like constantly monitoring it mm-hmm. um, and remote scanning and monitoring technology that was operated from a mobile lab that was wow. on site. So every aspect was analyzed, including temperature, electrostatic emissions, air current and air control, electromagnetic and geomagnetic spectrum, all types of radiation, vibration and movement, air pressure and humidity and spectrum of light, um, among many others. When I saw the thing about air wow. pressure, yeah, the thing about air pressure, I immediately thought of what you and I experienced in yeah. our room, which yeah. if you want to hear more about, 
come back in two weeks. You'll just um, have to be patient, but it's worth wait. it. It's worth it. Um, additionally, 1,100 people were confidentially interviewed, consisting of hotel guests, oh. day visitors, hotel employees, workers, and contractors. Half of those interviewed had reported a wide variety of unexplainable events. Half. Right. And the other half were randomly selected, all of them undergoing a myriad of scientific examinations, interviews, and assessments. So, yeah, after almost 10,000 hours of continuous on-site assessment, a significant percentage of anomalous paranormal phenomena were documented that could not be scientifically explained this is just this is such a massive undertaking alone and that like yeah. a business would allow this to happen is oh. i mean especially back then but was the this other, like when sightings was getting big too probably because yeah. there was that like mid 90s sort of like paranormal boom again like that it we're kind came, of like getting back into exactly. now it came on the tails of satanic panic, I think. Uh, when 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 that finished and do you know where your kids are, then ghosty stuff started. Which I think yeah. it was also around the time of um poltergeist, maybe. Oh, poltergeist. Oh, that was did that come out. That was earlier. That was the eighties. Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. So do you want to hear some of the things that could not be explained? Oh my gosh. Yes, please. I want to hear so much about well. <laughs> These are the things that they captured that cannot be explained. Moving chairs and furniture, disembodied shadows, opening and closing doors and windows, water faucets turning on and off, concentrations of extremely cold air and disembodied voices and footsteps. Additionally, hundreds of incidents were documented of people who who included hotel guests, employees, et cetera, having all manner of experiences talking to somebody who then disappeared <gasps> hearing Whoa. yeah hearing or smelling something etc that could not be scientifically detected among the variety of locations these experiences were documents were documented includes the hotels famously haunted rooms on the third floor and fifth floor which are among the most requested in the resort and uh, Christopher Chacon returned to the Hotel Del Coronado on multiple occasions to conduct further assessments using different investigative models and approaches. So basically, it's haunted as fuck, and they have now got a hotel historian who it seems that basically their primary role is to document the paranormal happenings of the Hotel Del Coronado. And that is my story done well done thank you and same to you well done thank you thank you um i mean if they're willing to do like a year-long investigation imagine the smaller quieter things that have gone on throughout the years that are probably not even documented because it it probably happened early you know 1900s or whatever but i remember seeing some article um where a a journalist was writing about how she stayed there Uh or something and that they like in the newspaper article like mentioned how they like whipped out the Ouija board and were like imagine how many times right that kind of thing has happened whether it's in that those specific rooms or other places oh yeah I mean 
I mean, when all the like Victorian era, like seance stuff, who well, knows yeah, spiritual like, doing that shit before exactly any it's- of these, you know, reported Kate sightings even happened. Yeah. They, so I mean, much honestly, has happened there. What it comes down to is a, every when you when you do a search for Hotel Del Coronado and hauntings, the thing that comes up over and over again is Kate Morgan. That's the yes. only thing that comes up. And so what happens then is everything becomes attributed to Kate Morgan, and yeah. there is way too much history, way too much paranormal fuckery that's gone on with people using god knows what to try and communicate with stuff yeah just other things that have happened so many people coming and going it's next to salt water which is a mega conductor for electrical stuff it's the perfect storm of everything combined that if something is going to be attracted to a spot it's going to be there it's not just kate it's a lot of stuff and um but just like to say it's just that a there tidy package so tragedies too like yeah. we know plenty of stories where we've heard like someone would die and they were quietly taken out of a hotel or quietly taken out of a restaurant or something yeah. like or they're not actually declared dead until they've left the premises right because technically technically then they didn't die there if they weren't exactly. declared right so like of course there have been other things that have happened i'm sure that like children have probably passed away there in accidents because that's just accidents happen. Yeah. That's for something to have such a long history. I mean, just the construction workers even alone that were in charge of building this monstrosity. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of stuff. There's lots of question marks that like, I don't think anyone will ever find out because fuck, they didn't even drop proper blueprints. Like. I, I know they documented everything perfectly. Um, it's it's but having all that coroner report, like all the actual stuff from then, is really interesting that it survived. Right. So it's that that's funkies. good to have, like a firsthand from the coroner account. Whether yeah. the facts check out or not, it's interesting that that still exists. Yeah, it's from the coroner's inquest. And this also, this report was from when they still thought that her name was Lottie. Yeah. This is before they figured out, wait, hang on a minute. She's come here under an alias and we don't actually know who this woman is. And, and now like, we got a bigger mystery. I'm pretty impressed that for a time period when women had to enter a separate door if they were traveling without a chaperone that they went to the extent that they did to find out who she was. Well, I think it's probably because she presented herself as a well-moneyed woman. Oh, certainly. That absolutely had something to do with it. If it was someone who had bad teeth, they would have thrown her out the back door and exactly. be done with it. I, you know what I raised my eyebrows about with that, with what you're saying with the separate door, is them sending up some poor guy called Henry to rub her head while she's naked in the bath. That doesn't seem very proper. There was a lot of stuff that wasn't proper. Good point. But she did also pay him a day's wage just to rub her sure. head. So yeah. So I'd yes. go rub her head too. I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I probably would. I'd go rub her head. I'm not, not touching her teeth. Wage. I'm not touching her, her feet though. I don't like feet. I don't care. You can do the pay feet. Me. I'll braid her hair. I'll braid pay her hair. Me. That's my favorite thing to do. I'll just brush it and braid it. Done. <laughs> 
Boom. Okay. Sorted. Perfect. All right. Let's wrap this up. This has been a long one. Joy. This is a long one. Thank you guys for hanging in there. Yeah. I hope you liked it. Guess what? Next big episode and next week is going to be our uh, pint-sized paranormal snackable. That's right. And then following that, we are going to be talking to you about what we personally experienced, the two of us, with our stay in room 302, now known as 3327, That's the right. room of Kate Morgan at the Hotel Del Coronado. So between now and then, your homework is to do your own Google searches about the Coronado and look things up and, I don't know, maybe nerd out on a construction video like I did a little. Just check out the pictures. Look at the history. I mean, it is a phenomenally beautiful place, and it will be good for you to have an idea of the layout and what it looks like when we tell you what happened to us there in a couple of weeks. Exactly. Yeah. So Emily. Yeah. What are you grateful for today? Dang it. Um, I am grateful for in this moment, I'm grateful that I've got a really nice squishy pillow waiting for me to go and snuggle up on (laughs) and pass out on in bed. And that I have a roof over my head. I I'm sitting on my cozy sofa talking to you for the past hours as if you're here sitting with me and it's lovely. (laughs) It is nice. Lovely. That, you know what, that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for, even though like we're doing our podcast, it never feels like work when we do this. It just feels like we're hanging out, which is why you now have to wait through four hours of us shooting the shit to put together. And I try to stay on track as best I can. I don't. What are you grateful for? Um, I'm grateful for that little like uh, orange tangerine water flavoring stuff that I put in my fuzzy water and I trick my brain into thinking that I'm drinking orange soda from back in the day. Fucking mint. Um, So, you know, until next time, please uh, write to us. If you've stayed at the Hotel Del Coronado. Oh my gosh, just please let us know. Please fucking send us an email, theresidualspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I promise that like, we won't just turn into a podcast that only talks about the Coronado. So like, if you have any scare mail to send us about your time there, even if nothing happened, I'd like to know if you went and just like nothing fucking happened. Yeah. Any other haunted, like unexpectedly haunted holidays. Like if you stayed at a bed and breakfast or any other hotel that you've experienced something like bed and breakfast, I always think like ripe for the fucking about for stuff. sure for sure if you have ever had anything happen on uh spending the night somewhere that is not your house let's just do a blanket statement yeah do you, let's do you just, live there normally can, no let's just do like a, a holiday vacation theme scare yeah. mail have you been on vacation and seen some weird shit exactly yeah um, i want to know tell us so yeah send us an email the residual um, until then please please sage your sofa And don't be afraid of the dark. (gasps) But I will. Perpetually. I can't help it. I try hard, but I, eh, you know. It's okay. I still love you. I am what I am. Mm. All right. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye. 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 So long.
as a titty. Look at all the nipples. 